Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, happy Independence Day to you. I don't know what your plans are for celebrating, but hopefully it'll be a good, encouraging day for you and uh, for our nation as well. We uh, will be heading up to visit our oldest son and, and family members in Merrimack, New Hampshire. And on the, the drive up there, there are times that I, I stay on the interstate and times which I, when I cut off. And when I cut off, there have been times when we, we drive by in Chelmsford, middle school, high school area. And there have been times when we've gone by where they have an old, I say it's not even so old, but a, a, a car that has been totaled. And with a reminder about, you know, their driving. You know, to, trying to instill in the hearts and minds of these teenagers that, look, this driving thing can be deadly, right? You need to pay attention. And, and so I was thinking about this and thinking over the years, we have had six kids learn to drive. And on the face of it, from a human perspective, that's a little bit of a scary thing, isn't it? At least, because I remember how I drove when I was a teenager. And I can't pin that on them, that's not fair. But when you take the car keys and you hand them to your young person, they do need to understand that first that's an awesome privilege to be able to drive that car, to be able to go, right? When that, how many remember like the very first time you got to take the car out on your own? I still remember that after all these years. It's so cool. And, um, but so it's this awesome privilege but it is a huge responsibility because you can get killed driving. And I think worse than that is you can kill somebody else, which would be very, very hard to live with, wouldn't it? If you were being foolish and someone died, if you weren't being faithful to the responsibility. So it's huge responsibility. Well, I think in some ways we might say that as a nation that God has handed us the keys to freedom. Okay? And so two, two thoughts here in the beginning. That freedom is an awesome privilege and a huge responsibility. You get both. We tend to think about the privilege. But we don't tend to focus in on the responsibility that goes with that freedom. Okay? Second thought is that when we fail to use our freedom responsibly, we risk losing the privilege. So Silas, did you get your license yesterday? Oh, That's, I didn't pass my first test. I don't know if you, did you take the test yesterday? Yes. Okay. I flunked my first test because I almost hit a car. Anyway, the thought is that when you get your license, right, and you get to drive, the idea is if we find out, you know, for our kids, if we find out that you are not being responsible with your driving, you will what? Lose the privilege. Well, it's the same thing with freedom as a people, as a nation, that when we do not um, 
take responsibility for how we use the freedom that we risk losing that freedom. And so we want to talk today about this. And in, in, in our country, you know, actually, let's go back, way back now, maybe a month or so ago, maybe a little longer, we looked at the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, and we saw that God gave them the freedom to choose, right? They had the freedom to choose to obey God or to disobey God. And God allowed them that freedom, even knowing that they would choose to sin against him. And all the problems that you have in your life today are traced back to that, right? And then, of course, we multiply our own sins into the equation. But God allowed that freedom, even though he knew that they could and eventually did make a bad choice. How important is freedom from God's perspective? Hugely important. Okay, because otherwise he wouldn't have, you know, let that happen. But no, freedom was, their freedom to make that choice was more important than the consequences of that choice. Okay, that freedom really matters. And, and we see that uh, it's a biblical worldview, a biblical view of humanity and, and human beings that tells us that freedom matters. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that later. Well, the, um, when sin came into the world, when they used their freedom to sin, that then affected their use of freedom going forward. Because now they are human beings that have sinful natures. And so freedom has this tendency always in us as human beings to draw us toward selfishness. I am free to do what I want to do, okay? And to sinfulness. And so freedom has been hurt by sin, you might say, okay? And so this is a reality. So individuals, you know, uh, I'm, I'm free. I'm going to take your stuff. <laughs> I'm free. I'm, I'm going to take your life. And we see this early on in the Old Testament, human beings' use of freedom, and so God instituted, when we get to Genesis chapter 9, he institutes the, the very basic uh, first time of human government. That because human beings, born with sinful natures, will use their freedom sometimes in wrong ways, God instituted government to protect human freedom. In Genesis chapter 9, he actually talks about uh, capital punishment. That if someone takes someone's life, then the people, a government, people working together as government, could then take that person's life, remove that person from society. Okay? And, but it's the whole idea of protecting people's freedom because if someone steals something, they take away that other person's freedom to have their stuff and to use it. And so government can say, no, you can't do that. So this is, um, God establishes government and he gives it responsibilities to, um, and we'll talk a little more about that in just a minute as well. But let's think about this. Who makes up government? Whether you're a country that has a king who makes all the decisions or you are in a country like ours, which has the rule of law as we actually sang about, right? And, and, and the government structure, but who makes up government? 
people. Well, now there's a problem, right? Because people have a tendency to use their freedom sinfully, including those who are in government, okay? And so um, this is why our country, early on the founding fathers, looked at government and recognized this fact that yes, we need government because there needs to be a government to address the issues, right, of people's sinful use of their freedom. There needs to be a government to protect freedom. But we also need to be protected from how sinful people might want to use their power and their government. And so they tried to establish in our constitution, our form of government, checks and balances to prevent anybody from having a power to be able to do whatever they wanted. They purposely did not want a king. Uh, and, and so they tried to structure our government in that way. Now, it's this concepts of government. And, and by the way, in Romans chapter 13, it talks about it. In 2 Peter chapter, uh, no, 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about government as well. And, and the Bible kind of establishes and limits this idea of government to two main things. Two main things. One is to address evildoers. Okay? Those in society who would get involved in criminal activities to be able to address that issue. Okay? And then also to address evildoers from outside the country. Right? Enemies who would want to attack and take over. So the defense, defense from evildoers. And then the second thing is the idea of bringing good and, and uh, positiveness in the sense of, I think, most likely providing an order in society. And, and just a simple view of this is like local governments, state governments setting up traffic lights. Why they do that? To provide some order, right? So things can function and work well. And so that is also a role of government. Uh, but beyond that, the Bible really doesn't give the government much other responsibility or authority. Now, governments and people are free to choose, right? And to form their government how they want. But God has, this is what he said, here's the basic functions of human government. So in the early days of our nation, uh, it was on this date, July 4th, that our founding fathers made the proclamation that we call the Declaration of Independence. And what they were saying is that after many, many months and attempts and efforts to address England, who the government is abusing its authority, it is not protecting the rights of its citizens here in this new world, Therefore, we are saying we are no longer under that government because it is unjust and we are establishing a government that acknowledges that uh, these truths are self-evident, right? That God has endowed us with certain rights. And so this idea of acknowledging that uh, human beings have rights and those rights are not, listen, those rights are not granted to them by the government. Okay, that was what the Declaration of Independence, one of the things that acknowledged, was it's not the government that gives us rights. You know, we have a Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to our Constitution, but you gotta understand that those, that Bill of Rights was never intended to say that, oh, the government is giving you these rights. 
what it's recognizing is that as human beings made in the image of God, we have these rights. These are rights, natural rights that we have, and government needs to acknowledge that, okay, and needs to protect those rights. And so our founding fathers said, okay, we're going to set up this country, and even though, you know, God is not mentioned in the Constitution, I think that's by choice, uh, but our founding fathers largely had a, what we would call a Judeo-Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, and that informed their decisions about how do we make a government. That's a, so we are a nation of laws, not of rulers. Okay, and how do we then have that government function in a way that protects the rights of its citizens? Okay, did they do a perfect job of it? No. Right? We, we know that just by the nature of who we are and what we're like. They did a really good job of it, okay? And I think it has served us well. We have 27 amendments to the Constitution. The first 10 were really part of the original, uh, the Bill of Rights, and then the others have addressed certain issues over the years and made some things better. Uh, but largely it has endured. And so we as a country have been known for our freedom in the world, right? We've been known for our freedom. And so we must remember the freedom is what? An awesome privilege and a huge responsibility. And if we aren't faithful with it, we could lose the privilege. And even as Melanie was sharing, I think most of us have a sense of, hey, we're losing some of that privilege. Right? Because of the way things are going. Now, we tend to think of that as a political problem. Right? And man, in the last, you know, the last presidential election and all the ugliness that went on there and the craziness of trying to figure out how do we handle this kind of stuff. But we tend to view, and, and so many Christians, I think, really, really got caught up in seeing, thinking that these freedom issues and moral issues are first and foremost political issues. Are they? Are the issues of freedom and the issues of morality political issues? They become political issues. But first and foremost, I would say to you, they are not political issues. They are spiritual issues. And Christians would do well to remember that. And if Christians would remember that, they would make, I think, a bunch of different choices when they're dealing with political issues. Okay? It might be the same conclusion, but they would handle it much differently. So let's take our Bibles and go to Paul's first letter to Timothy and look at the spiritual nature of this responsibility in our nation, with our people, with our leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2, that's page 1362, 1362 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. Paul says, therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 
For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And then Paul says that's what he's about. Um, So we see here, and he doesn't say anywhere here, talk about specifically about freedom, but I think we see the issue of freedom addressed in here. But let's, let's go back and work our way through this. When he says, therefore I exhort first of all. What, what are you talking about? Well, Paul's saying, okay, I got this letter. I'm writing to Timothy. I'm writing this letter to Timothy because I'm, I want to give him instructions about what's important in the church, how the church is supposed to function in very practical ways. And he says, first of all, okay? So I'm going to start with this. First of all, I exhort you, I encourage you, and it's, it's a strong encouragement. First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, specifically for kings and all who are in authority. How interesting. He said that's the place to start here. Uh, so let's talk about it. He says four things here. Supplications. Supplications is when you have specific kinds of requests. You know, our supplications uh, might have been in this last year, oh God, please, with this, the coronavirus and the pandemic and the government trying to figure out, you know, how things should go. You know, please give them direction, give them wisdom as they make their decisions related to these things. Those are supplications. Prayer is a more general term, and that might be just, oh God, would you please work in our country? We need you to, to, to work. We need you to uh, motivate and, uh, and give insights, whatever. Those are kind of more general requests. Intercessions, this is where we might pray for a specific individual, whoever the president is. You know, we, we pray, Father, for the president, that as he has to make the final decision on what this policy is going to be, of this agency, and would you please give him great wisdom, Lord, those who have his ear and who are, you know, giving him information and making recommendations to him. Father, please help them to see and know what's really true and have a desire in their heart to do what's right. We're interceding on their behalf, okay? On the behalf of these individuals who have to do that. And then giving of thanks. Don't we sometimes wish maybe the Lord left that one off? But the reality is, is Father, thank you uh, that these people, whatever their motives have been, Lord, have been willing to step up and take this responsibility. And can I just share a thought with you here? Um, I think that for the most part, whoever is president of the country gets sworn in walks into that office and more than they ever realized, feel a huge weight of responsibility. Because it's one thing to talk about it, and it's another one to be the person who's there. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if God just, you know, when they feel the weight of responsibility, that God doesn't also just kind of push down on that a little bit, that they really feel it. Okay, infects them. So we need to give thanks for these people and for God's working through them. And for specific kings and for all in authority. And their kings today would be our president, vice president, senators, representatives, our town councilmen, our state leaders, whatever. All of those who are in authority. 
And this includes some of the bureaucratic people, right, who are, who are leading agencies and all that kind of stuff. And we need to pray for them. Uh, and how we do that and when we do that, I, he doesn't specify, but we need to do it. Okay? Now, he tells us why. And here's the where, where I think we, we start to see the idea of freedom. Okay? Verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. A quiet and peaceable life. And so... Um, It's not the idea here that the government, those who are in authority, will provide us with a quiet and peaceful life. We're praying that they won't prevent it. Right? That they will govern in such a way that we can live our lives quiet and peaceful. And it doesn't mean we don't have busyness or excitement or either. It's just the idea is we... And for the most part, we still are in our nation. I mean, we kind of think things are bad in our nation. You want to trade it for some others? Right? I mean, we have a tremendous amount of freedom still in our country. And so we're praying that, that we would have this quiet and peaceful life because the government is not pressing in where it doesn't belong. It's not trying, it's not, it's failing to protect our rights. It's not, okay? And uh, although we see those things on the horizon, but he's saying here, pray for them so that we can be, live this free life. Okay. So if I understand this right, he's saying that the condition of our country with respect to these things lies at least partly on whose shoulders? Come on. Whose? Ours. That's right, my people who pray. My Christians need to pray so that we can have this freedom and experience this freedom. Um, the Old Testament. God tells his people, he says, look, if you aren't experiencing these blessings, if you're experiencing hardship when it seems like you ought to be saying, he says this, he says, if, if the government leaders will repent. Are you guys buying that? That isn't what he says. He says, if my people who are called by my name. Now, this was talking to Israel under the law. God's working in their lives. But I can't help but think that there's still a principle that applies to us here. If my people who are called by my name, Christians, Christians, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will, hear, I will heal their land. If my people. And so I just want to give us a challenge. Nothing else. Put this in your mind here today. That. Um, well let's, let me make the point. And then I'll elaborate a little bit. That the spiritual condition of God's people. Ultimately affects their freedom. 
Okay? Now, this is not to say every time, every circumstance, every because God does have his eternal purposes which he's working out in the history of the world. Sometimes that means that loss of freedom and, and different rulers. But overall, this, our spiritual condition is going to affect what we experience in our country with respect to our freedom. Okay? That seems to be what Paul's saying here. Seems to be what the Old Testament is saying here. Now think about this. So first of all, he says pray. And we need to pray because really, it, prayer matters somehow. Right? Somehow it makes a difference that if I will pray, if I will pray for President Biden and say, oh God, you know, all of these issues, all the things in here, God, would you work? Is he going to change? I don't know, but God tells me to do it and I believe that it matters. It matters somehow. Okay? And so we need to do that. But here's the deal. If our spiritual condition, if we don't really believe in praying. Now, if I ask you today, do you guys believe in prayer? Yes. You'd say what? You'd say, of course we believe in prayer. And I would say, okay, so does your way of praying in, in your life, does it, if we were looking at that, would we decide that you believe prayer makes a difference? That's, a, that's always a tough one, isn't it? We think about that, yeah, okay. So I need to think about that, right? So praying does matter. So I need to do this. So the idea is my spiritual condition, whether or not I'm approaching life as a praying person, I'm approaching life of connecting with God and opening my heart to him and, and praying the way he says to pray and, and, and uh, that I'm yielded before him as I pray humble. If that spiritual condition, if that is lacking, then I won't pray. Or I won't pray like I should. And so do you see how the spiritual condition of God's people affects their freedom? Because then we are surrendered to God and growing to be like him and telling others about him that we will be praying and as we're praying and we pray what he says to pray and it makes a difference. And so the spiritual condition of, of us as God's people really, really does matter. All right, let's look a little farther here. Just a little farther. Okay, verse two, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Okay, quiet and peaceable life, that life of freedom. The, we pray for the authorities. They're not intervening in our lives in a way they ought not to. We have a quiet and peaceable life. But he says it's not just that you may lead a quiet and peaceable life, but you may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You see, God views freedom as the opportunity for his people to live the way he wants. We tend to think that our freedom is primarily for us to enjoy. Anybody besides me enjoy freedom? I enjoy freedom. But if I think that that's given to me by God so I can just live however I want. I have missed the point. God says, pray for those people in authority because it's going to make a difference of what you experience in the area of freedom, a quiet and peaceable life. 
But remember, the purpose of this quiet and peaceable life is that you might live, be able to live godly lives in all reverence, surrendered to the Lord, yielded to him, acknowledging his, his, the importance of his role in your life. And so this is what our freedom is for. And if we forget that, then once again, see, our spiritual condition is, is headed in the wrong direction and we end up with all the problems. And I think many of the problems we're facing today are because as a whole large group, those who are called by his name, their spiritual condition is not what it ought to be. And I know that's all individual, but do you understand what I'm saying? Large. Okay, so that's the purpose of freedom. And then he elaborates even more. Okay, so quiet and peaceable life, all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, so why does God want us to be free? He wants us to be free so that, that we can make choices to live godly, reverential lives. And why? Because he wants everyone to be saved. Okay, so this, this third idea here that God gives his people freedom so they can focus on reaching others for Christ. You know, I'm so thankful that we live in a society where when we open up our parking lot and, and uh, have the car show come here that as the spirit leads, I can do what I did last night, share the gospel with someone. I don't have to worry about getting put in jail for that, do I? But do you know how quickly that could change? If, if, if a certain views and beliefs, we've already seen it become viewed as hateful and as robbing the rights of others, next thing you know, I mean, it's already being challenged that way, right? In other words, you, if you hold a certain position, well, you shouldn't be free to hold that position. That's what's going on. And again, I think we eventually lay that at our feet, at least partially, because we have not lived the Christian life the way the Lord intends for us to. I want you to think about this. How, if, if we look at this and say, okay, pray for the authorities so that we can be free, so that we can live the way God wants us to, so that we can reach people for Christ. Is that progression breaking down anywhere in your life? Understand what I mean, right? Praying for the authorities so we can be free, so therefore we can live the way God wants us to, which includes reaching people for Christ. You know, I think, again, we think of freedom. Freedom, I can, I can drive what kind of car that I want if I can afford it, right? I think freedom, I can live in the house that I want. I can, I can go on vacation like I like. I can do all those things, and those are all blessings of freedom. But man, we gotta be careful that as Christians, those things don't, that ought to be down here below living for God and, and being his follower and trying to reach people for Christ and oh, we get to enjoy this stuff, this gets turned over. And this idea of following Christ and, and, and devoting our lives to reaching people for him goes to the down, way down the list. And we hardly ever get to it, if at all. Now, I want to just commend you guys for being here today on the 4th of July, on Independence Day. 
You know, and I know that some of you may be watching, you know, here, and, and I understand your plans did not allow you to be here. I get that. But I just want to commend you because here's, here's what's going on in our culture. And even I know that we have people who have a connection with our church who are struggling with this. And I know this because they're just looking at their lives. And that's that we have a tendency to live our lives. We have the freedom. We make all those choices. We live how we want. And then we try to fit church. And our Christianity, we try to fit that in someplace. Right? We fill up our calendar. And then we look and say, okay, well, yeah, well, can I, I, maybe I can fit church in this week. <laughs> or whatever it is, right? The, reaching the neighbors. Um, so encouraged because I, I've been praying every day. Oh God, help us. How do we reach our neighbors? I'm talking about me in my neighborhood. And then you know, I realized I've been praying about this a long time and, and haven't done a lot. I mean, I've, I've tried to connect with the neighbors when I see them. I try to talk with them, you know, and build a little relationship. But something's bigger got to give. And then the other day, I, I forget, we were getting ready to do something, Glenn and I, and she said, wait, I can't right now because the neighbor lady over here is out. I need to go back and reconnect with her. And I thank you, God, you're working in our lives, right? He's burdening us to reach these neighbors. Um, but what it's going to take at some point is for Glenda and I, maybe just me, she's probably ready, that's usually where this goes, uh, to finally say, okay, what are we going to do, right? And we put that on the calendar. And then if I have time to disc golf, fine. rather than putting disc golf on the calendar and then saying, well, I don't have time to... Do you understand my point? And, um, and so we need to understand that this is one of the reasons that God has given us freedom, is to be involved in reaching other people for Christ. That's what he says here, right? I'm, am I making this up? Or is that the progression? Pray for the authorities. Freedom. You can live the way God wants you to. And what he wants you to is he wants you to be reaching people for Christ. That's the progression here. Okay? So we need to be doing that. God is not opposed to us enjoying our freedom. He makes provision for it, but he's called us to focus our freedom on his mission for us and our church, right? We need to be doing these things that you see on the wall up here, and they need to be more than just what we see on the wall. All right, and go on. So some implications here from this passage of Scripture. First one is this, that a nation filled with Christians who are serious about living for Christ and reaching the world for him can expect the increasing blessings of freedom. Um, largely, the modern missionary movement that has taken the gospel around the world flowed out from America. The money and the missionaries have flowed out from America. And what have we experienced in the history of our nation? Great freedom. Great blessings. That's starting to change. Uh, still plenty of godly Christians. Many of you here today would fit that bill. Um, and don't think Walt's got a list. <laughs> Who's not? That's not my point. But you know that there are other countries in the world who are now surpassing us in sending missionaries out. And 
I'm happy for that, but I'm not happy that you know, we're going down and they're going up. And we're going down a lot because, you know, what are, we're choosing, we're making other choices. We're making other choices. Um, all right, I, I won't dwell on that anymore, but understand this. A nation filled Christians who are serious about living for Christ, reaching the world for him, can expect the increasing blessings of freedom. Proverbs says that the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands and the Lord can turn it whichever way he wants. God can work there and do that. And so if if we are desiring to follow him and to, to be these people who surrender and grow and tell and, and make disciples throughout the world, you know, with here and right there with missionaries. And when we are like that, we, not just we, but we in the United States, Christians who are here, God can keep us free to do it. But the less important that becomes to us the less important it is for God to keep us free. Does that make sense? Okay. And so the flip side of this is that a nation filled with Christians who don't give high priority to living for Christ and reaching the world for him should not be surprised when their freedoms begin to deteriorate. And uh, I said I agree with Melanie's sentiment this morning as she talking to us about where things are at in our country that we are seeing some challenges here and I think that it, the solution is if my people, not if my people will get involved in politics, although God may lead you to do that, but if my people will humble themselves and pray, seek his face, right? All right, two challenges. First one is never forget that God is the source of your freedom and its blessings. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. So we don't want to forget this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, page 212 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. And again, this doesn't uh, specifically list freedom, but I think you'll see the parallels to us in our nation. And I'm not saying, once again, that all the things that God says about Israel apply to our country. They don't. But once again, we see some principles here, I think, that do apply. Verse 7. Before I say, remember Israel has been in the wilderness and God is now going to lead them into this land that he has promised them. Verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. Doesn't this sound like a rich nation like ours? Verse 13, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, you forgot who saved you and freed you from the bondage of sin. Verse 15, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water. 
who brought water for you out of the flinty rocks. How God has worked in your life. You're forgetting him. Verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good, you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. I get to use all this stuff. I did it. It's mine. Verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. He's the, one that, he's the one that gives you the power to use freedom. You see how that, those principles? We have an awesome country that we live in. It has its problems. And it looks like it's headed for more. How important it is it that you and I Humble ourselves before God and say, oh God, I want to be about your business. I want that to be the most important thing in my life. And when we do that, he will hear. And he'll accomplish his will and purposes in us and through us. And who knows what that means, because once we reach a point where we're going downhill fast enough, it may not stop. And it may be that then we live faithfully and are persecuted. But it just also might be that there might be time for us to turn to the Lord. And it's not about our nation being turned around so we can enjoy it the way it was, but we want to remain free to carry out the commission that God has given us. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would just really implant it in our hearts that we want to be humble before you. We want to serve you with our lives. We want to put you first. We want to seek first your kingdom. And then, Lord, we can add the other things and you'll add our needs to us. Help us to remember the right priorities, Father. And remember that the freedom that you've given us, which we will celebrate today, are given to us so that we can serve you and so we can reach a world for you. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting that. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. Go have a great day. Do enjoy it. Enjoy the freedom. And then take to heart that we have a huge responsibility that goes with our freedom. Amen. Amen.